If you have your Bible, why don't you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And we're continuing our study on the book of Philippians. And um, we're talking about maintaining our joy. Uh, The Apostle Paul writing to the church uh, mentions um, uh, numerous times, 12 times in four chapters about rejoicing in the Lord, which means be glad, be joyful, rejoicing and be glad. Uh, be joyful is a theme that goes throughout the book of Philippians. He's sitting in prison. He's writing to the church that's going through persecution, going through trials, going through uh, tribulation, they're going through struggles. And he's writing to them, trying to help them maintain their joy. And as we've mentioned before, there's things that you can do that will that will enhance the joy in your life. And there are things that you can do that will subtract from the joy in your life. You know, this weekend, there were there's a bunch of people that went downtown and they went partying, they went drinking and they there there was somebody in town that got busted building a mat, a meth lab in the backyard making meth. And there are people, a lot of people that are uh, that went to there are people that went to the emergency room this weekend because they OD'd or, or they 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 went too far. And you know the thing about it is there's a lot of people right here in town. There are people that spent all day at the mall this weekend shopping, hoping that maybe if they purchase one more piece of clothing or or, or down at Academy, if they can buy one more toy, that it might bring joy into their life. And so we do all these things to try to get joy in our life, not realizing that there's there's these things don't produce joy. They might make you happy for a little while, but they won't produce that eternal, that that outrageous, that contagious joy that everybody wants to experience in their life. Amen. And so there are things that you can do that will enhance the joy in your life. And if you violate those things, you're going to lose joy in your life. So Paul uh, is writing the church of Philippians and he's saying, listen, let me give you some things that you need to do to increase the joy in your life. And so in in uh, in chapter two, Paul recognized the fact that there is joy in your salvation. How many of you know that there is joy in your salvation? So he goes at length to talk about that. Let's read in Philippians two and twelve. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. As you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, Paul recognized that true joy comes when we experience salvation. And he says there in verse 12, he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. If you want to experience joy in your life, you have to work out salvation. That's what he's saying. Now, what is salvation? Well, we know salvation, first of all, can be defined as deliverance from sin and its consequences. I don't know. You know, for a time, people would say, uh, are you saved? And I'd say, saved from what? What do you mean? Am I saved? I didn't know I needed to be. But salvation, First Thessalonians 5, 9 says this, for God has not destined us for wrath, 
but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Salvation is our deliverance from God's wrath. The Bible says that sin causes us to die. Sin causes us to deserve judgment. And when you're saved, you you have your sins washed away. Your sins are forgiven. You escape the wrath of God. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. In fact, salvation is the greatest blessing that you could ever have on this side of heaven. The Bible says in Hebrews 2 and 3, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Salvation is so great because it not only includes our deliverance from God's wrath or from God's sin, but you know what? Salvation also includes God's freedom and God's blessing and his future inheritance. Amen. How many of you know salvation is all encompassing? It's the greatest thing that you could ever have. And so listen, salvation is not just a momentary work, but it's a continuous work in our life. It's not a one-time event. You know, some people understand salvation as, well, you come walk down the aisle and you pray this prayer with pastor and that's it. How many of you know it's way more than that? It's way more than that. Salvation, you know, can be divided in three tenses, you know, past tense, And that means that we've been forgiven of our past sins. Amen. That's justification. Just as if I've never sinned. That's great, isn't it? But you know what? Salvation is also present tense. We're being transformed daily through the work of God's grace. Amen. Right now, there's sanctification working in our life. God is working in us a work that he's wanting to work. And then the third tense is the future tense. We'll be saved from the wrath of God. We'll be saved from judgment day. That's glorification. Amen. So you got justification. You got sanctification. You got glorification. Salvation is great because it's freedom from the past. It's victory in the present and it's hope for the future. Praise the Lord. How many of you know that's great? But listen, salvation is a continuous work in our life. It's not a one time. It continues to work in our life. And Paul says, work out your salvation. It's a daily working out of our salvation that brings joy. Listen, you can't come up here and just pray this prayer and say, yeah, I prayed to receive Christ, and, and, but yet I don't have joy. That's because you're not working out daily your salvation. You've got to work it out. Psalm 51 and 12, the psalmist said, restore to me again the joy of your salvation. There's joy in salvation. Whenever you work out your salvation, it will release great joy. Amen. Why? Because it gives you the victory in the present. So you see, it's not good enough to just pray this prayer. You got to work it out, man. You got to work out what God works in. Now, clarification. We don't earn our salvation by works. We can't earn our salvation salvation by works, right? But we're saved for works. We're not saved. We don't get to heaven because we do something good. But God saves us so we can do something good. Come on, y'all hearing that this morning? Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, It is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works that no one should boast. It's a gift of God, which we receive by faith. It's through grace. Amen. However, we don't earn our salvation by working, but our salvation should lead us to working. 
We should be doing something. Amen. Look at the next verse. In verse 10, it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand in advance for us to do. So here's the point. Every Christian has been created by Christ Jesus to do good works. And nothing will bring greater joy in your life than whenever you just set your heart to work out the salvation that God has put in your life. We've been created to do good works. Amen. So true joy comes from doing what God created you to do. We've been created to do good works. So what that tells me is that you can't just come to church, pray this little prayer and then go on your merry way and experience the joy of the Lord in your life. You got to get to the next level and you got to let God work in your life. The Bible says in Philippians 2.12, Paul says, continue, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out. What does work out means? It means work at bringing it to completion. And so what it really means is God created us to become spiritually strong, to spiritually mature. Listen, whenever we become saved, the Bible says we're a new baby in Christ and we just drink the milk of the word of God. But we should keep growing so we don't need to keep hearing about the elementary things of God anymore. And then we go on to maturity. Amen. And that's what he's saying. We've got to grow. You know, listen, even Jesus grew. The Bible says in Luke 2.52 that Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and men. He was the Son of God, but He grew. He continually worked out the salvation that the Father had gave Him. Amen? In Philippians 1.6, Paul said, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work will carry it out to completion. Come on. The Lord is not through with you yet. He's not done. He's got more. So God desires for us to continue to grow spiritually. And so then he lays out some exercises that will help us grow spiritually. Exercise number one, he says, consistent obedience to his word. You got to continually obey his word. Look in Philippians 2, 12. It says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So he starts off by saying, hey, continue to obey. This is where spiritual maturity begins. It's whenever you begin to obey what God wants you to do. Isn't that right? You're not going to grow if you don't submit yourself to what God wants you to do. And so listen, the more you obey God, the more you're going to grow spiritually. The more you obey, the more you grow. And then, the, and then the more you grow spiritually, the more you receive God's blessings in your life. Amen? And so listen, it's kind of like salvation gives you a sip of joy, but as you grow in your salvation, it gives you a drink of joy. Amen? Come on, y'all can understand that, don't y'all? And so listen, 1 John 3, 2 says, and God gives us what we ask for. We receive it because we obey God's commands and do what pleases him. So listen, obedience leads to spiritual maturity. Spiritual blessings come with obedience, which part of that is a joyful life. Amen. Listen, obedience is kind of, let me explain it this way. I was thinking about this. How can I, how can I explain obedience to these Cajuns here this morning? 
And I came up with, I think, a good idea. On uh, Memorial Day, I think it was, Tanya and I, Olivia and, and Ben went crabbing. We went crabbing, and it was a bad day crabbing. We went to Rockefeller. We were just, you know, crabbing there. How many of you ever been crabbing in Rockefeller? And, and don't mind saying it. Okay, so here we were. And, uh, and we were crabbing, but man, it was a bad day. We weren't catching any crab. We so, um, so Ben said, well, we crabbed over here before. Let's go check that out. So we went down the road. We went to Mermental River. We, we looked around there. No crabs there. We, we went down the road a little bit further. And man, we, we, we parked our car and we're crabbing. We're working hard. Hey, man, we're catching a little bit of crabs here. And then we came across this couple and they were sitting on these rocks and they were in the honey hole, baby. And they were catching crabs and we, our mouth was watering. It was like, man, they're catching crabs like crazy. They're loading up the ice chest. So I tried to get as close as I could to where that honey hole. I mean, I was trying desperately, but I couldn't get there, man. I mean, I, I just I just stopped short of saying, would you move over? I need some crabs here. But they loaded up the chest. You know, that day came to an end and we had five crabs. You know, so you know what we did? We walked over to that couple and said, hey, look, you blessed today. Here's five more crabs and we could barely get them in their ice chest. And we just drove home and said, oh, well, bad day crabbing. But you know what, my friends? Obedience puts you on the honey hole. Obedience puts you where the crabs are biting. Obedience puts you where the blessings of God are. You don't have to obey God. It's a choice. But if you will obey his commands, you're going to get on the honey hole of life. And God will bless you. Come on. You understand that? You understand that illustration? I was talking to a brother this, uh, this last week. And he was telling me about his story. He runs a business. And it turns out somebody that was working in his office just took a bunch of money, thousands of dollars from his business. Not only that, didn't pay the taxes correctly, and put him on this huge financial hole. And so I'm catching up with him. How's it going, man? He said, well, you know, man, although this is happening, man, God is blessing us. God is blessing. And he started telling me about the blessings of God and how God's blessing him. And you know what? After he got done, I said, you know, here it goes again. When a, when a servant of God will obey God, God will always bless them. Amen. It's not that bad things don't happen, but God will bless you despite bad things happening. Come on, are y'all with me? And so listen, true joy comes from doing what God created you to do. You got to exercise in a spiritual maturity. How do you become stronger spiritually? Don't look at all the ways you can disobey God's word. Look at all the ways you can obey him. Amen. Find another scripture that you can obey and God will bless your life. Amen. Oh, that's making me happy. How about you? But listen, it's consistent obedience. It's consistent obedience. Listen, you can walk with the Lord and obey the Lord for 50 years. And if at that moment, after 50 years of serving him, you decide not to serve him, your life is going to spiral downward. Amen. And that's what that's what he says in verse 12. He says, listen, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now, but now much more in my absence. Paul was saying, don't just obey God whenever I'm around to impress me. Obey God whenever I'm not around. And so he's saying, listen, you got to obey consistently. And so listen, don't just act like a Christian when you're in church. Don't just act like a Christian when a Christian shows up. 
Your life should not be any different whether you're in church or out of church, whether a Christian is watching or a Christian is not watching. It should be consistent throughout your life. If you want the joy of the Lord, that is. Come on, are y'all with me out there? And so listen, I remember, I remember, you know, learning part of this lesson when I worked at Camco. And you know how it is. Uh, you know, some of you know how it is. But, you know, on Fridays, the boss tended to go play golf on Friday afternoon. And we all knew that. So, man, as soon as he show up in the morning, do his thing, and then he was gone as soon as he left. Man, we threw a party. Man, we just lollygagged. Work came to a screeching halt. The boss is gone. It's Friday. Let's have a good time. Whenever he was on vacation, not much production. And then I came across the scripture, Ephesians 6, 7. Don't work hard only when your master is watching and then shirk when he is looking. Work hard with gladness all the time as though working for Christ. Doing the will of God with all your hearts. Remember, the Lord will pay you for each good thing you do, whether you're slave or free. Oh, oh. I, I, I interpreted that to mean that when the boss leaves on Friday, I got to keep working just like he was in the shop. Come on, are y'all, y'all hearing me out there? And you know what? So, man, I, I started just trying to do that. It's, whether the boss was there or not there, it didn't matter. And you know, a little ways down the road, things got tight. We had to cut back. You know what? I kept my job. And I just look back and it's just like, the Lord allowed me to keep my job. I believe because I consistently did what the Bible told me to do. And can I tell you, if you will consistently do what the Bible tells you to do, God will bless you. And one of the blessings you're going to have is joy in your life. Amen. Exercise number two, establish godly priorities. Look in verse 2, I mean, chapter 2, verse 12. So therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, what does that mean? Fear and trembling. That means we got to be scared of God. No, I think fear and trembling means take it real seriously. Take working out your salvation real seriously. Listen, there's some things in life that it's not a big deal, but there's some things in life that's a big deal. Your salvation, it's a big deal. Why? Because it keeps you on the honey hole. Amen. Amen. And so he says, work out your salvation. Man, don't just like take this salvation thing that God gave you, just kind of like this, this, this not so important thing. Make it serious in your life. Listen, spiritual maturity requires us to keep godly priorities. You know what? Spiritual immaturity results in having ungodly priorities. Spiritual immaturity says, hey, the next great thing that comes down the pike, that's what I'm going to get excited about. But a mature believer says, oh, no, no, I don't care how much glitter and go. I don't care how much fanfare. I don't care about what's happening in town. Jesus is my priority. Amen. Are y'all with me? And so listen, sometimes we fail to make the connection between our problems and our ungodly priorities. Sometimes we, we don't make the connection of why we're struggling so much in our life and our messed up priorities. 
But if we'll keep our priorities right, you see, listen, this husband gets all discouraged because his marriage is in trouble. His children, his children aren't doing good. His finances are bad. And he never makes the connection that, man, the reason why you got all this bad stuff happening in your life is because you haven't opened your Bible. You haven't prayed a prayer. You haven't gone to church. You haven't even acknowledged God in months. And so the Lord says in, in, in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. See, listen, joy is sometimes one priority away. One priority away. Are you all tracking with me? See, there's nothing wrong with having fun. There's nothing wrong with doing other things as long as it never becomes more important than our relationship with Jesus. Amen. That's what Paul is saying, I think, when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You see, unfortunately, a lot of people, their lives get all meshed up. It's fallen apart, as it seems. And they come stumbling in the church and they get their heart right with God. They start serving God. God puts their life together. And as soon as God puts their life back together, all of a sudden they get so blessed, so busy that they forget about God altogether. They get wrapped up in the things of life and they fall by the wayside back in the gutter. But if we'll keep the priority of the Lord in our life, God will bless us. Amen. Spiritual growth comes from keeping godly priorities. Remember Hannah? Hannah was barren and she wanted a child really bad. But every year she would go to the temple and she would cry out to God. One time she was there in the temple crying out to God, saying, God, would you hear me? In fact, the man of God thought she was drinking. Because her mouth was moving, but she didn't, he couldn't hear anything. And he approached her and he said, hey, have you been drinking? And she said, no, I'm deeply burdened. I'm deeply burdened and I'm pouring out my heart to God. I'm barren. I don't want a child. And the man of God, the prophet said, Hannah, you can go home. You're going to have a child by this time next year. And you know the story. Hannah received a child because she made a priority of seeking God. We can look at Hannah's story and say, you know what? If we will continue to pursue God, it's not that we don't have barren times in our life. It's not that we don't have bad weeks, bad months, bad years, bad half a lifetime. Amen. But if we will keep seeking God, we are positioning ourselves to get the breakthrough from God. Amen. Amen. Now, let's review. Point number one, true joy comes when we experience salvation. Point number two, true joy comes from doing what God created you to do, establishing spiritual growth in your life. Point number three, true joy comes from surrendering and submitting to God's process. Listen, the Bible says in Philippians 2.13, God is at work in you. Did you know God is working in you? Right now, as you're sitting listening to this sermon, God is working in you. God is wanting. He's not through. He's not finished with you. As long as you breathe, God's going to continue to work in you. Amen. And, and he wants to do a further work. Did you know that that right now God is wanting to change something in your life? God is wanting to bless you in a different way. He's constantly working. And the problem comes in when God's working in our life and we resist it. And we rebel against it. God, I know you're trying to do something in my life, but I don't want that. I know you want me to change this, but I don't want to go there. 
The problem comes in when we resist it. We lose our joy when we rebel and we resist against the process of God working in our life. But how many of you know if we will submit to it, if we will surrender to it, true joy will come to our life. Amen? It's, it's, it's again that thing of swimming upstream. So how do, you, how do you surrender? How do you surrender to God's process? Well, let me just give you a couple of keys. Number one, Surrendering to his process requires keeping a good attitude. You got to have a good attitude. Remember last week we talked about have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself. But in verse 14, he says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Do everything. Complaining and arguing is an attitude problem. And he says, so do everything without complaining and arguing. You know what I believe? Complaining and arguing or complaining about your circumstances is a sign you're resisting and rejecting what God's wanting to do. You know, listen, arguing with others is another sign that you're resisting and fighting what God might want to do in your life. And so ultimately, arguing with others, complaining about your circumstance is really a sign. A lot of times it's really a sign about being mad or having an attitude with God. God, I don't like my circumstances. God, I don't like what you're doing in my life right now. And so Paul says, hey, Philippian church, do everything without complaining or arguing, complaining, murmuring. Remember the children of Israel murmured, they complained. And because they murmured and complained, they, res- they were resisting what God was doing. And when you resist what God is doing, you're not going to get the benefit and you're going to be you're going to be miserable. How many of you know we must trust that God knows what he's doing? Amen. Amen. We got to trust that. Philippians 1 and 6, Paul said, being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it out unto the completion. How many of you know it's a good word? God knows what he's doing. And if we'll submit to the process, we'll like the outcome. Amen. We'll like the outcome. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for the good. We might not like the process of what we're going through, but we're going to like the blessing after we get past it. Amen. You know, I was just thinking about looking back at some of the, the times I didn't like what God was doing in my life. I remember one time working in the oil field, you know, just uh, probably a couple of years before I went in the ministry and my boss forced me to go offshore. And quite frankly, I believe the reason why he forced me to go offshore was because I didn't want to participate in, in what they were doing anymore. And, and because he was the boss, he said, I'll show you. You won't do what I want you to do. I'll send you offshore. And I think he was hoping that I would say, OK, I'll do it. But God put his his claws into my heart. And it's like, uh-uh. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. But you know what? I hated it. I hated working offshore. But you know what? Although I hated going offshore, I really liked the results. And I was thinking about that. What good came out of me being forced to go offshore, which was totally something I hated and I dreaded to do. I made more money. I had more free time. I was able to study, read books, minister to people. It allowed me more free time in my life. I was able to go to Brother Francis's house, work on the side of him, gleam all the wisdom, be around the church more. There was great benefits 
from the outcome of something I didn't want to do. I didn't like what God was doing, but praise God, I like the outcome of it, uh, you know? And so listen, I'm not saying to you I didn't complain. I'm not telling you I didn't murmur. I know I did. But now I can look back and say, man, I was wasting my time murmuring and complaining about what God was doing in my life because God was working a great work in my life. Amen. I was thinking about this. Here's one more. Y'all got time for one more? I remember whenever Brother Francis, I was working here at the church. Brother Francis started having um, hard problems and they said, listen, it's time to change this mitral valve. Well, we had just gone to three services in the old auditorium. Now we had Saturday night service, which was my deal. But he had to go have surgery and he couldn't have a mitral valve change and preach every Sunday. So I got the privilege of preaching every Sunday and Saturday, three services. And I'm kind of, you know, fairly new in the ministry. And for, I don't know, six or eight weeks, Brother Francis was in the process of recovering. And I'm telling you, Man, I was so pressured. I was so stressed out. And I'm telling you, Lord, I murmured and complained. God, why have you done this to me? Are you trying to kill me? And now that I say it, I think he was. He was trying to kill me so he could live. Amen. But you know what? I look back at that and said, what was the good? I was able to give Brother Francis time to heal. I was able to keep the church going while Brother Francis recovered. And I personally grew in leaps and bounds. I grew, Tiny and I grew in a way that we would have never grown had we not been put in that situation. So what am I saying? How many of you can look back at a difficult time that you went through? And you you can look back now and say, man... I wish I would have just submitted more to the process because now that I look back, man, God wrought a great work in my life through that terrible time. But you know what? I think murmuring and arguing just lengthens the time period. And as soon as we get the right attitude, it's going to shorten the time period. Come on. How many of you feel right now? You got to get a good attitude. Come on. Oh, Lord, Lord. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay, God, I'm happy. I'm happy. Can we just bring an end to this? So what is what's going on in your life right now that you don't like? Can you just be willing to quit murmuring about it, complaining about it, and just submit to the process? Listen, Philippians 2.15 says, if you will trust Him to do what He wants to do in your life, that you're going to be like a light, shining like a star in the sky. In the sky. People around you are going to see Jesus in you. People that are hopeless and helpless will see the Lord in you. God will use everything we go through for His kingdom and for His glory. Amen? Which brings me to the final point. Surrendering to His process requires being willing to sacrifice your life for His service. Paul said, look in Philippians 2.17, Your faith makes you give your lives as a sacrifice in serving God. Maybe I will have to offer my own life with your sacrifice. But if that happens, I will be glad and I will share my joy with all of you. You also should be glad and share your joy with me. What is Paul saying? Listen, what I am doing right now will cost me my life. But if it costs me my life, I'm glad. I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to lay down my life in service to God. 
How can you have joy in being at the place where you might lose your life and still have joy? Whenever you give up, whenever you surrender all, there's no more fight in you, man. Joy can take over your life. Amen. And he's saying to us, he says, listen, if you want joy, be willing to give your life, not just going to church, give your life in a service. Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, Jesus said this in Mark 8, 35. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. How many of you know when you let go, it's whenever you gain ground. And the Lord's saying, listen, let go. Surrender your life to my service. Don't try to ride two horses the horse of your own will and the horse of God's will. Just get on God's horse and it's going to be a lot more pleasurable. It's going to be a lot more joyful. Amen. Amen. And so I believe that's why you can come to church and still not have joy because you're not you have it surrendered to his process. God, what do you want to do in my life? I am like the clay on the potter's wheel. You fashion and form whatever you want in my life. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's close in prayer. I want to just take a moment, see if I can just kind of nail this point home this morning by illustrating something. Uh, All of us in here, probably in one of three chairs. First chair or in this case, stool. Some of us in here, we've been coming to church. We believe in God, pray but we've never received salvation. We've never asked Jesus to forgive our sins and receive Christ into our lives, became born again. Some of you in here, this might be where you are. Joy doesn't come with going to church. Joy comes with receiving the salvation of God where your sins are forgiven. Amen? How many of you in here today, you say, man, I think that's me. Just, that's, I think, that. Right, there we go. There that's me right there. But you know what? There's others in here that you're here on the second chair. You've done this, but you're here. And God is trying to work out his salvation, which means he's trying to bring us to spiritual maturity, which requires us to give more, to do more. But we're hanging on to that last chair and we don't want to get to this chair. And we'll say, no, I don't want to do that. And Paul is saying, listen, man, do it with fear and trembling. Come on, let me work in you. Remember, he talked about the four seeds. And he said, one seed, they heard the word of God and the enemy came and snatched it out. The second seed, they heard the word, they grabbed a hold of it with joy and they're ready to serve God. And then problems and pressure came and they fell by the wayside. See, if you don't grow spiritually, when the storms of life come, you won't make it. Listen, whenever you go through tough times, it's not the time to get serious with God. Now is the time to get serious with God. Amen. So some of you are right here in this second chair and God is saying to you, come on, come up a little higher. Come on a little further. I'm I'm glad that you got saved, but I, I saved you for more than just barely making it into heaven. I got a plan and a purpose for you. Amen. Which means some of us need to go over to the third chair. And the third chair... 
is whenever you've allowed spiritual maturity to work in your life, now you're ready to roll up your sleeves and do something for God. Listen, I believe there's way too many spectators in church and not enough participators in church. Amen. So listen, we got we got these few people on the field ushering, greeting, serving. You're doing all this. And we're in the grandstand saying, go, man, go, go. And their tongues are hanging out and we're cheering them on and we're getting fat in the stands because we haven't exercised in a while. Amen. And the Lord said, listen. Hey, come on, listen, listen, halftime, halftime. Let them get in the stands and you get out on the field. Amen. Come on, you roll up your sleeves, you get in the game and you do something for me. Amen. And then after they get freshed up and they get their win, they'll get on the field. We'll all be on the field and we're going to win the world. Amen. Come on, are y'all with me out there? Amen. Come on. Work out your salvation. Yes. Now, come on, let's just close in prayer. How many of you today, you say, Todd, I'm in that first chair. I need to receive my salvation. Let me see your hands. I need to be born again. I need to be saved right here. Right here, ma'am. I see you, sir. I see your hand. Just raise it, raise it high. Come on, it's time to start. It's more than going to church. It's time to get to the next level. Amen. How many of you right now, go ahead, just raise your hand. Listen, those of you that raise your hand, slip out of the pew real quick and come down here. This is the greatest day of your life. This is the seed of joy right here. Come on, just come on down. Come on down. Come on down. Praise your Lord. Now listen, some of you right here, you're in that second chair. You might have been saved. You might have been born again. But maybe you're backslidden. Maybe you're resisting the process. And this morning, God is moving on your heart. Come on, raise your hand and say, God, I receive that. I receive that. Come on, just raise your hands right now and just acknowledgement if, if you feel God is prodding your heart. Now, some of you right now, maybe you feel, maybe you feel like, man, I'm the one in the grandstands cheering everybody else on and I know God's telling me to get down on the field and do something for Him. And that's what God's speaking to me. Just raise your hand. Come on, listen, truth aborted Come on, truth aborted would make no change in your life. You got to accept it. You got to apply it. You got to say, God, what you want me to do? How can I do something for you? Let's pray together. Those of you up here, pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for shedding your blood that I might be saved, that I might be born again. Lord, I want to be a Christian. And I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to come into my heart, come into my life. And be my Lord. And be my Savior. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 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 Now listen. So what is God working? What is God? Let's ask God to give us ears to hear what God is working in us. Amen. Father God, I pray. Lord, unstop our spiritual ears. Give us ears to hear your voice. Lord, to sense your spirit. God, give us ears to know what you're trying to tell us and what you're trying to do. Lord, we submit to your process. God, we submit to your work in our life. And we pray, God, do your full, completed work in us that we might be like a star in the sky, bringing glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody that agreed shouted and said amen.